You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. There was an interesting article that came out. I saw it on Twitter. I retweeted it. It's from a website called Driveline Baseball. And they did an article trying to figure out how teams find stars and the effectiveness of their player development. What they did is they actually went back and they used ratings that you'll get in Baseball America. They went to the Baseball America Prospect Handbook looked at a reliable source of prospect grades, looked at the money being spent on guys, international slap money, all this different stuff, and then looked at how teams fared in terms of the value they got out of players. So they came up with like a figure. Like this is the value that a team gets out of a player during a period of time. And then they they sat there and they did a collective thing. So from 2012 through 2019... Looking at how teams scout, sign, and develop players. The value generated by that clubhouse. The number one rated, most value generated were the Dodgers. It makes perfect sense. Every year they're in the NLCS. They're they're competing every year. And they constantly seem to have guys coming up. Every year... There's a prospect that comes out on their team that you're excited about, and there's three more guys that are sitting that are down the line. I play Dynasty Fantasy Baseball. I always have a couple of Dodgers in my farm system. They're they're almost like can't miss. I believe in their evaluation of players more than anybody. So it makes perfect sense they're up at the top. The Astros were number two. The Cardinals were number three. The Braves were number four. And the Yankees were number five. Now, any of these surprise you? Atlanta a little bit. But look at how Atlanta's farm system has developed over that period of time. And they have young, good talent playing at the major league level right now. The Dodgers, about $464 million in value generated in their system over that period of time, 2012 to 2019. Now let's scan and try to find the White Sox. I will tell you this. 19 teams generated value during that time. 19 teams. And for comparison's sake, the guys on the north side lost $100 million in value in their farm systems with how they, have, how they, how they scout players This is with the formula they have. And I wish I could go through the whole formula, but literally it would be a three-hour program with me trying to explain this to you. I just wanted to give you the basics, the bare, the bare nuts. A team that has been totally mismanaged during that time period, 2012 to 2019, the Miami Marlins come in 29th on the list, losing 253 and some odd change million dollars in generated value. They end up in the hole, negative 253 million dollars. Almost a hundred million dollars worse in the last spot are your Chicago White Sox. $347,589,347 and 78 cents 
The Chicago White Sox, that's the amount of value they lost in prospects and how they developed in their system and what they actually turned out to be. And they mention the White Sox. They do, they do make mention here that not only do you see an $816 million factor between the Dodgers at number one and the White Sox at the bottom in terms of value generated, but they talked about how teams have recently invested in some of the developmental tools that the Dodgers and Astros have been using for years. But what this shows is that the White Sox, at least according to this very technical sabermetric way of valuing talent and saying, okay, they drafted a guy at this position. They're spending this much amount of money on him. There's there there. This is the value of this player. And then this guy loses value because he doesn't end up getting developed correctly. The White Sox are atrocious at this. You always thought that this was the case. And then you read this article and you go, oh my goodness, I'm getting the shakes. I wish there was a way I could get just a message to Jerry Reinsdorf to read something that actually tells him that his front office has lost him almost $350 million in player value from 2012 to 2019. Like if somebody was able to quantify it in dollar figures for him. Maybe he would get socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. I am so happy to be back on the South Side. I spent the last six days, five nights in total, in Kansas City with the in laws for the Easter weekend, which was a miserable experience. Made even more miserable by the amount of Kansas City Royals fans that I came in contact with. They are like one of the worst fan bases ever. They're, they're incredible. They can't name more than three people on their own baseball team. Like I, I, I talked to a Kansas City Royals fan this weekend in Kansas City who told me, I saw on the news that the Royals and the White Sox are fighting. And that's because the White Sox fight with us a lot. That's all they know. Like we're angry about what happened to Tim Anderson. They don't know what happened out there. Like, they, they probably got a few good fans. They're comparable to another fan base that I know that I don't feel like talking about on this show. They're brutal. My father-in-law, this is one of my favorite stories ever, lived in Kansas City for 30-some years. And we were going into town in 2015. We were coming back from a trip, my wife and I, and he was watching the grandkids. And we went to go pick them up. And we got into town. The night the Royals won the pennant. And the next morning he gets up and he tells me he's running out to the store to go buy himself his Royals hat. And I tell him, I'm like, oh, you got to do that. That's definitely go do that. Because if they go and they win the World Series, it'll be really, really hard to find like the pennant winning hat. Because all you'll be able to find then are like the World Series hat. So that's a good idea. Get out in the morning and get that right away before the World Series starts. He comes back home with just a regular Kansas City Royals hat. I go, what is that? I thought you were going to go get a pennant one. He's like, well, I got to get a regular Royals hat first. I've never had one before. 32 years in Kansas City. I remember that weekend I spent in Kansas City. I was in this bar in Weston. I think it's Weston, Missouri. It's not Kansas. I believe it's in Missouri. Weston is the home of the second oldest brewery in the country next to Yingling out in Pennsylvania. Only by one year are they younger than Yingling. And they have this really cool brewery, and then they have a bar that basically has like three seats on the upper level, on ground level, and then you go down into a cave system. 
And it's different levels underground because they used to brew the beer underground during Prohibition. And now they've turned it into bars down there. It's really neat to go into. Seems like a fire trap, but it's really neat to be underground drinking in a cave. And I'm standing at the bar that year, right after I've just had this incident where he's talking about his Kansas City Royals hat. This guy is sitting at the bar and he's telling me how he's such a big Royals fan because I'm wearing my White Sox hat. I wear it everywhere. For good or for bad, I wear it. I wore it this whole weekend. Like I was trying to pick a fight. But nobody wants to pick a fight with me because they don't even know anything about their team. Because I'm sitting down there and this guy and his two friends are sitting there and, and they're at the bar they're having a drink and my, my father-in-law walks up and stands next to me. And I go, oh man, you guys, you guys are going to have a, a fun time in the World Series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have a really good time in the World Series. I remember Bruce Chen played for the Indians that year after a long time with Kansas City. And they had just gotten past him. And he had given them fits. Like, in the postseason, was giving them a really hard time. And I made the comment, like, I really enjoyed watching him give you guys fits after all the years he gave us fits as a Royals pitcher. And these guys look at me incredulously and go, Bruce Chen used to pitch for the Royals? They're the worst. So, you know, don't feel bad about what happened this past week in Kansas City. I like the fact that our team was fired up. I like the bat flip. I know Dave doesn't agree. If he was here this week, he would tell you that. He didn't like the bat flip. He doesn't like bat flips. He's one of these traditionalists. He hates the whole idea of it. I, I think it's ridiculous. I was totally cool with it. If MLB is going to sit there and tell these kids, go out and let the kids play and go ahead and do your bat flips, and they're going to show in all the promotional stuff, then it should be allowed. Guys like Joe West shouldn't be able to, to do what he did, although we're not the only team that he does that to. He does that to everyone. If you watch a national game, Joe West is, is out there umping. I mean, you'll hear like the Angels broadcasters like, here's Joe West again, screwing us. He does it to every team. I think he still has a little bit of a sweet spot for the White Sox where he likes to really jab them. But he just likes to get himself involved in everything. And he's not good for baseball. And Major League Baseball should get rid of him. I don't think they will. He's got naked pictures of somebody. Or maybe he actually discovered that the ball was juiced in one of these previous years or knew some of Major League Baseball's dirty laundry. And they're like, if we do something to Joe, Joe's going to write a tell-all book and it's going to hurt the league, so we'll put up with Joe. I don't know. But it seems to me an employee that's that bad at his job and goes against everything you're trying to market and then no discipline occurs to him. And he's allowed to continue to go out there and keep doing what he's doing, putting himself in the middle of games, he carried out a personal vendetta against Tim Anderson in that game. I don't care what Tim Anderson said. Everybody wants to jump on with the, the logistics of what he said. It's funny. None of the players heard him use the language that Joe West claims that he used. I read an article that they interview players from both sides. Nobody heard him say that. Now, they could be covering. That could be the code of players or not. But let's just forget that. I found that interesting. We had to throw out these specific words that Tim Anderson allegedly used to try to muddy the waters of this whole thing. Let's get back to the basics of it. Tim Anderson didn't like something Joe West did to him that was clearly a BS thing last year, where he goes sliding into second base. I'm sorry, he didn't go sliding into second base. Javi Baez goes sliding into second base, throws his arm out at Anderson while he's trying to turn a double play. And after the play is over, Anderson looks at West and said, did you see him put his arm out? And the story goes, at least according to Anderson, that West immediately gets confrontational, like, what, are you trying to fight with me? And he goes, no. And then West stares him down. You can see it on the film. He just stares at him for multiple pitches. He's not even watching the game. 
Like, wouldn't you love it if Joe West was, like, doing a stare-down thing and somebody had a line shot off his big melon head? If only we could be so lucky. So Anderson finally looks at him and goes, what are you looking at? And he throws him out of the game. So then Anderson, after the game, of course, says this thing where we all know Joe West is a joke. So West has been waiting to get him. So here's Anderson, who gets hit by a pitch. And Joe West throws him out of the game. It's ridiculous. Plus, if Major League Baseball is going to sit around and tell you and me and the players with their ad campaign that bat flips should be happening, they're encouraging bat flips now, which I have no problem with. I love the intense. I love the excitement. I love the intensity of the game. I like the fire of the game. Look, you're talking about installing pitch clocks because you think people are bored. You want to liven up the game. All right. This is what you've decided you want to do. Great. But then you better come down harder on a pitcher that's going to go head hunting or butt hunting, hip hunting, batter hunting when a guy flips a bat. By giving five games to Keller, which is basically a one-game suspension, you gave him the same amount of games that he's going to miss as Anderson. You're saying that even though Anderson did exactly what you encouraged him to do with your marketing campaign, this let-the-kids-play thing, your Twitter account, Major League Baseball, sends out a thing that says, this is awesome, look at this awesome bat flip, hashtag let-the-kids-play. Keller should have gotten a massive suspension. Ned Yost should have been suspended. What the heck? Ricky Renteria has got his arms being held and Yost runs up and puts his hands on him? Some White Sox player should have decked him for that. And that was the biggest disappointment. I don't want to spend the whole show on it because it happened about a week ago, but we had just done our show, and so we never got to talk about this. I would have liked to have seen you come out and win that game. All the stops should have been pulled out to win that game. That became a must-win game for that team. You were playing well. A team punked you. You get punked by the umpire. You need to win that game. That's a tone-setting game. You did nothing. You fell flat. It's because you have so many automatic outs in your lineup. It's because when you take Moncada and Anderson out of the game, which happened because Moncada gets hit by a ball trying to steal second base, and he ends up coming out of the game. So you're missing your best two hitters. You don't have very much after that right now. Aloy is nothing special at this point. In fact, this is an interesting stat. I looked this up because people love the Aloy story. Like, I mean, I, and I've said it, I'm, I'm okay with him in his rookie year. I'm going to give him the same leeway that I gave Yohan Moncada. Last year, I was like, this is Yohan Moncada's first full season. And I'm not going to give him a hard time for trying to work it out. Going from AAA to Major League Baseball is so hard. That's why there's an entire phrase like that guy's a 4A player, meaning too good for AAA can't make it in the majors. There's plenty of guys throughout the history of Major League Baseball that are like that. I mean, Mancata had a ton of at-bats before he finally figured himself out. He had a whole season, hitting like 230-something. So I'm not going to judge Aloy. But I will tell you this. You can't sit around and say because he had a two-home run game and he's shown some moments. I think as a fan base, you're stretching if you're saying he's having a great beginning of his career. I'll just compare the two of them. Aloy in the month of April, we're just going to look at this point in the month of April through the 23rd of April, hitting 239 with a 685 OPS, over 67 at-bats. Compare that to Yoan Mancada in the month of April last year, 274 with an 877 OPS. That's what he did in April of last year. 
So Mankata had a much better April than Aloy is having when you're looking at their first full seasons. Now, we also know Mankata ends up hitting about 239, I think. I think that's what his stats were for the year. He, he actually ends up very close to what Aloy is doing right now. So if Aloy improves by the end of the year, could easily have a better first full season than Mankata had. And we're very happy with what Mankata is doing right now, right? He could easily, if he continues to improve, have a better season than Tim Anderson had. And you got to be ecstatic with him at the plate. Not defensively, but ecstatic with him at the plate. So, one, I wouldn't get too upset with him. I also wouldn't be walk around saying he's the next great thing. Time will tell with him. Just like time told with Mankata, and we don't even know if this is a flash at the beginning of the year or not. All I'm saying is that, though, there's only so many guys you could pay attention to on this roster that really matter for your future, and he's one of them, so we want him to do well. Don't overvalue him, don't undervalue him. Hey, this is Acoustic Mike from Broadcast Basement, and you're listening to Socks in the Basement with Chris and his buddy Dave. I did the Broadcast Basement with Chris for 10 years, and nobody gave me a show. I'd leave if I had anything else to do with my life. Remember, the Broadcast Basement is available everywhere podcasts can be found and always at BroadcastBasement.com. Did we call it last week, though, with Ryan Cordell? I swear the White Sox listen to the show. Show comes out on Wednesday morning. We are just like, why? Why not Ryan Cordell? I, I just don't get it. You go back and listen to it. Sox play that game on Wednesday afternoon. The whole Anderson thing where Palka has multiple opportunities to be hero in that game, which we had pointed out he had done the year before, but didn't look like that this was the same year. They sent him down immediately afterwards. They bring up Ryan Cordell. I don't want to toot our horn here. I know we're not the only people that were saying, where's Ryan Cordell? But we're one of the few. Not everybody was saying it. Ryan Cordell, 10 games now, 24 total at-bats. I know it's a small sample size. With the 1.027 OPS and the 333 batting average. He's not a qualifying player yet, but if he were, if he had played nine more games, he'd have the same amount of games as Tim Anderson with comparable stats. Now, I don't expect Ryan Cordell to be a superstar player. I don't expect any of that to hold up. But that's the shot in the arm the team needed. They need things like that. I was looking, who else could we bring up? How else could we improve this team? Because I still think that if a guy is not your long-term solution at a position, it shouldn't matter who you bring up. Yomer Sanchez is not the long-term solution at second base. If you think that he is, you should have your head examined. So if the guy's not doing great for you, and he'd be better off as a utility guy, Elsadis Escobar is trying to reinvent himself down in AAA. He's only got a 393 batting average and a .971 OPS. I bet you he could play second base. I'm pretty sure he could play second base. I bet you he'd be a better defensive second baseman than Yomer Sanchez and have more hits. And Yomer can go move around and be the utility guy. That's the next thing I'm calling for. I want to see that. I think that makes perfect sense to me. I don't know how you're going to fix the pitching staff, though. Ivan Nova is terrible. And I like that move. That move made perfect sense to me. You look at his overall, just like his basic, his whip and 
you know, how, how he comes in and does his games and the innings he gives you and everything like that and the value you're getting for the price and you got to find a couple of fill-in veteran guys. I thought he'd be a lot better than he is. He's terrible. You don't really have a lot of other options. But, oh, my goodness. It's brutal. He's got one Mania numbers right now. 1.75 whip so far through five games that he started. He's putting on a batter and three quarters every inning. It's atrocious. 842 ERA? Opponents are hitting 351 against him? And, and you have no other option. I mean, really, what's your plan? You know, and that's the thing. When everybody sat there and said, oh, we're going to contend this year, or wouldn't it be great if we contended this year, you needed a lot more than what you had. The idea that all five starters were going to come out that you have put together, we're going to, we're going to do, we're all going to be just what you want them to be. That, that's far-fetched. That doesn't happen with most teams, if any. And he, he's a disaster. We're just happy he was a stopgap. We don't have to deal with him again next year. He's going to be answering some trivia question. Who was one of the statistically worst starting pitchers in White Sox history who still pitched and started 30 games? Because who else are you going to throw out there? You know, Nova, even with that 1.75 whip, is still the third best starter we have right now. Irvin Santana, 2.19. Rinaldo Lopez, 1.89. Excuse me, I'm going to go throw up. So my sister comes up with this brilliant idea that we're going to do like this big outing to the White Sox. Like the family. Me, my wife, our kids, her, her husband, their kids, my parents, like just, we're going to have a, we're going to have an outing. We're going to buy like a block of tickets, which isn't that hard because, you know, let's be honest, good seats are available pretty much to every game, all games. So I'm not paying attention to the dates or the schedule. And she sends me this thing, like she sends me a text with this idea and I'm in and she wants to do it on May 4th because may the 4th be with you. That's Star Wars Day, and they're doing Star Wars Night at Guaranteed Rate Field. And I'm like, all right, that sounds good. Um, why don't we try to get in the Goose Island section? Because I'm like, wow, you got the tables. The kids can kind of roam free. I can stand up. We can move around. Not anybody's you know, way. We got a group of people. That'd be a good spot to do that at. And she gets back to me and says, I couldn't get you in your section. It was $71 a seat in there. And after tax and everything, it's going to be 40 a person for years. 40 a person. I did not expect for my family of five to have to drop $200. And I've been racking my brain about this all day. Like, how are the prices so expensive? Because she's got us sitting in left field. And then I realized why they're so expensive. She bought tickets to one of the few series that the White Sox are able to price gouge on. Because I'm going against the Red Sox on May 4th. So I'm completely overpaying for this game, which these are the games I avoid all the time. I avoid the Yankee games. I avoid the Red Sox games. I avoid the Cubs series. I'm just not into it. it. It feels like amateur hour sometimes, and I feel like I'm spending way too much money to go out and watch a team that doesn't have as good of a chance that I want them to have to win the game. Like, odds are, it's not going to go well for my team. So I'm really just going for the entertainment value. I'm going to watch a few players play. You know, you watch Joan, you watch Tim, 
you know, you're checking out James McCann, hopefully, because he's totally outdoing Wellington Castillo. You know, you're, you're probably checking out, I would hope, a Jose Rondon at that point, more at second base than a Yomer Sanchez if things continue. Because Rondon, with his limited amount of at-bats, is doing far more. Or bring up Elsadis Escobar, like I said. But you're hoping you're seeing something like that. But now, I'm way overpaying for this. Like, it boggles my brain. I mean, sure, I'm getting an R2-D2 bobblehead. But I feel like I'm actually paying for the bobblehead. Like, I'm getting there early to make sure I get my damn bobblehead. I already missed out on the sweatshirt, on the hoodie, on opening weekend. When you would think that all hoodies in the entire world had mysteriously disappeared like the rapture of hoodies had happened. And everybody in the world was there like four hours early doing jujitsu fighting to try to get a hoodie. And there were only 15,000 of them. And the best part about that was as I was walking in the gate, somebody found a mysteriously lost box of hoodies. Because it looked like there was like a supervisor had come down the door and be like, what's this box we didn't open up yet? And then they open it up. And it was Bedlam at gate three. Or gate two. Was I at gate two? I think I was at gate two. Bedlam. I can't imagine what RTD2 bobblehead night's going to be like when people are already paying a ridiculous amount of money to go watch that game. Can't believe. How did she miss that? You know, she's probably like, she, she's probably just like, you know, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Forty some dollars a seat. As soon as she sent me the price, I couldn't figure out what had happened. Now I know what happened. I'll probably get Nova. I mean, I'm going to have to sit here right now and try to figure out, like, rotation-wise, like, who I'm getting that night. Because it better be Rodon. Carlos Rodon better be the, be the pitcher that night for $40 a seat. For $40 a seat, they should almost set up my rotation so I get him. I want, I want Rodon, and I want to be able to pick the lineup. I want Rondon at second base. I want McCann behind the plate. I want Yomer Sanchez to have to sit outside the stadium watching from, like, a I don't know, a designated park bench for $40. Before I get out of here, though, I do want to tell you there have been some rumblings that Sox in the Basement may be doing some events, not on that night, but maybe doing some events coming up very soon, maybe at a local establishment, uh, maybe at a local establishment and then going to the game. I don't know exactly what's happening with that one, um, but there are some things that are kind of in the works. I actually spoke with a local business owner in my neck of the woods about a possible live broadcast coming up in the next couple of weeks. I will have details on that if it's going to happen by next show. So there's a lot going on. If you want to keep up to date on everything that we are doing, make sure that you are following us on Twitter at Socks in the Basement, or you're following us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Socks in the Basement, or on Instagram at Socks in the Basement, or you could just make sure you're subscribed to the show. Do that through Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Those are the two most popular, but you can do it through any podcast medium that you want or go directly to SocksInTheBasement.com. You won't miss anything. You'll know where we're at. You'll probably get some free swag. You might win the next contest that we do. Next week on the program, I have a pitcher that is expected to eventually make the starting rotation for the Chicago White Sox. At least several people have said it, including on this podcast. A guy that could come in and bump out one of the pitchers that you think is going to be a starting rotation guy for the future. A guy that I'm wondering when he's going to make it to Chicago, and we're going to ask him that question. If you want to find out who that guy is, you're going to have to listen. We'll see you next week with Socks in the Basement and Dave coming back down here to the basement so I don't have to do the whole thing on my own. 
everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Bye-bye, everybody. Another show is wrapped up. Another show's in the books. Another show is wrapped up. And then by the looks, it's going to be a good one. And we'll see you next week. And the nude is Another show is wrapped up, another show is wrapped up, another show is wrapped up, and it's in the books. Another show is wrapped up, another show is wrapped up, and by the looks, it's gonna be a good one. Nudie's Basement, broadcast, basement, the Nudie's Basement, the Broad Basement. Slancha. That was like Dropkick Murphys or something, right? I felt like it. Socks in the Basement. <laughs> Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.